0: Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview or encouraging message to help you find and do work you love. Now, here's your host, Grant Baldwin. What is up, my friends? Welcome to another episode of How'd You Get Into That? My name is Grant. It's so good to have you here with us. Really, really means a lot. Really appreciate you being here. Hope you're doing well. Hope life is treating you good. I'm feeling good today, and got a good interview. Got a good episode for you today. Today we got my buddy Tom Billions. Uh, yes, his last name is literally Billions, that which I tell him in the interview. That's just a baller last name. Like you're just born with that. and You're like. Psh. You got it made right there. That alone makes it a good interview. But Tom's got a really cool story. Tom actually owns a local coffee shop called The Coffee Ethic, brews some of the finest coffee around. I, as I admit in the interview, I am not a coffee aficionado, but I tell you in the interview how I know that he has good coffee. But Tom has a great story. He spent 12 years with a nonprofit while he was kind of passionately building up this new hobby of coffee on the side. And so we talk about how he transitioned that and what was the one question that a friend asked him that changed everything for him. And it was a simple question. It's a question I know that you've heard, and it's a great question for you to consider as well. So we'll get into that as a little bit as well. Also, if you haven't already, uh, make sure that you download the bonus interview, the bonus material. We've been doing this with a lot of interviews lately, but with Tom, we talk about anything that he would do differently. How do you build up loyalty in a small business, especially like a retail shop? like a coffee shop. How do you build loyalty with people? There's a lot of different coffee places that you could go to in a very competitive space. So how does he keep people coming back to him? And then we also talk about how you figure out how you grow and build something while at the same time keeping it small and special, something you know intimate like a coffee shop. You know, He doesn't want it to be a Starbucks. So uh, how do you keep it small and intimate and still special to the people that come to his shop? So we talk a lot about that in the bonus material. You can download the bonus material by going to com slash 8181 for episode 81 or within your app, whatever app you're listening to, if you can look at the show notes there, there's gonna be a box at the top there where you can download the exclusive bonus material there from your phone. So let's get into it. Hope you can enjoy this. This is my interview with my buddy Tom Billions of the Coffee Ethic. Greetings, my friends. What is up? Welcome to another episode of How'd You Get Into That. Today, we are joined by my friend Tom Billions, who, first of all, he has a baller last name. Anybody with the last name of Billions, you know he's got to be a stud. So Tom runs a coffee shop called The Coffee Ethic, here actually where I live. And to be honest, a little disclaimer up front, I'm not a coffee guy at all, but my brother is a coffee nerd, and he has tried coffee all over the world, and he still says Tom's is some of the best. So Tom, what's up, man? Welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. Glad to be here.
0: So you run coffee ethic. To me it's a coffee shop, but to the coffee people of the world, like it seems like there's more to it than just that. So how would you describe your
1: business? Well, we probably describe it more as a coffee bar because we don't do a lot of food in the states, you know. A lot of times you say coffee shop and people think full diner with, you know, refillable coffee, eggs, bacon, the whole nine. And so we're just a coffee bar. We just do coffee, a few pastries, things like that, some other beverages as well, but Coffee's definitely our focus and our bread and butter.
0: Do you, but you don't you, But you do not do bread and butter, so you can't say that. Yeah, this is true. This is true.
1: We actually do have toast.
0: <laughs> okay, all right, not, right. So. all right. so, and again, you're going to have to forgive me, because I don't know a ton about the coffee process at all. So, do you roast it there, or are you just making it, or what all happens there within Coffee Ethics?
1: We actually do roast there. We started roasting in August of this year, but we were open a little over six and a half years just brewing and serving, so that's a new part of our business. And what is it like, what's behind the name coffee ethic? Well, it's kind of a short story, but an interesting one, I guess. You hear people talk about land ethic and work ethic. And that term always kind of resonated with me in different ways. And so I started looking at it and thinking, you know, if we wanted to do a business based around coffee, what would it be like? And so I started thinking, well, that would be our ethic, right? And so started researching the word a little bit. And the root word of Ethic is from the Greek, it's ethikos, which means your theory of living. And so when mm. we started talking about it, our theory of doing coffee was three-point. We wanted to be very focused on what was in the cup. We wanted to be very focused on the people that were involved in the coffee chain, all the way from the growers to the consumers, you know, our customers and everyone in between. And then also be very. Understanding and conscientious about the environmental impact of our business too. So the Earth is the third point. Gotcha. Cut people in Earth. That's our coffee ethic. So
0: nice. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Do you guys have much involvement in the growers, or where's most of your stuff grown and sourced from?
1: Well, coffee. You know, we we source it from around the world actually, and we have for we worked with great roaster out of Topeka, Kansas called PT's Coffee. And they have countless direct trade relationships, which is kind of the next step beyond fair trade. It's basically shaking hands with the farmer, doing business, negotiating directly with the farmers. They're growing the coffee. They bring it in and roast it, and then we use their coffee once they roasted it. And so the direct trade relationship was big in that, but they do that all over the globe. So, I mean, coffee's grown between Tropic of Cancer and the Tropic of Capricorn, roughly, all the way around the world. So, like, you know, the, the right around the equator and so... It's seasonal as the earth turns, you know, the coffee. It's like sweet corn around our parts. You know, there's only certain times of the year you can get it. Right. And so it's that way. The Kenya harvest is going to be different than the Colombian harvest and things like that. So you have to keep coffee going all year round. So sometimes they grow very big lots of it, sometimes small, but it's definitely seasonal. So you kind of have to source coffee from everywhere. And what you want to do is find it from people that are doing a great job growing it. And you want to make sure that they're well-paid for their efforts. I guess to put it in sum it up a little bit.
0: And I'm assuming that the like each of the different regions around the world where coffee's grown, I assume there's different nuances to taste and flavor and all that goes into it.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there's so many variables when it comes to those things. The type of coffee, tree that is growing on, you know, the varietal, the environment, the soil, the amount of sunlight, the amount of rainfall, everything. but also, it's the way it's farmed, the way it's picked, the way it's processed, all those things. Yeah. But each place has a unique flavor and a unique style to it of it in and of itself. Farming practices, you know, that are traditional, that have been they've been doing it that way for a long time and they keep doing it that way. And so it's created a unique flavor within the coffee. So yeah, each region has distinctions from other areas. But even some farms, you know, you can grow coffees in one plot right next to the other one, and because it's Facing the sun a little different on the side of a mountain, it's going to have a completely different result in the cup for the for the consumer. So.
0: Interesting. Yeah, it seems like so many different little just nuances that affect it and make you know one cup slightly different than another cup. So absolutely, thing, absolutely. things that I would never notice at all, but uh, people with more refined palates like yourself would.
1: No, you know it's really easy to nerd out on stuff like this. You can go as deep down the rabbit hole as you want, but. The nice thing is, you know, the the end result is just trying to get a good cup of coffee for someone so they can really enjoy it. Right. Even if they don't necessarily want to pick out all the flavors, I just want to sit and talk with my friend over a good cup of coffee. And right. There's value in that as well.
0: So. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Where, like, where does this fascination in coffee even come from for you?
1: That, you know, that's a great question. I think the, the coffee shop actually captured me before the actual drink because I moved to a city. I took a job in a different city. And I didn't know anyone. Well, when I was there interviewing, we went into this coffee shop just to have lunch and talking to the people, and told them what I was there to do. And you know, six or eight weeks later, after I'd accepted the job and moved to the city, I went back in because it was the only place in town I knew of. Right. And I walked in, and they said, "Hey, Tom, welcome back. You took the job. That's great. Welcome to Cody." And you know, so they they just they remembered me, rolled out the red carpet. I was like, well this is my spot, I guess. I better start drinking coffee because at that point I didn't. So I had him uh-huh. kind of walk me through the early stages of being a coffee drinker. So, but I liked the shop and the community that they created around that. And then the coffee came secondary for me. Once you realize the intricacies of the drink itself, um, it's just a lot of fun. It's enjoyable. It's I don't know, something you can really devote a lot of time and effort to if you want to. And I just started doing that. So the interest grew from there.
0: So whenever you even started, like like when you started the Coffee Ethic then, was it kind of the same approach? Like we got to get the, the environment right and then we'll kind of figure out the coffee? Or what was your kind of approach there?
1: No, actually, the environment was a really difficult thing because it's, you know, it's such a hard thing to put design together to make it a place that's comfortable and inviting. And, you know, we set out to create a rich, warm comforting environment that was also interesting and creative and just helped provide people of all different walks of life because you're going to have you know who knows walk walk through your door every day so you want to make sure that it appeals to interests across the board and so i was pretty pretty clear on what i wanted to do with coffee but creating an environment was really really difficult
0: whenever you took that first job and then you were kind of going into the coffee shop just to do some work there what was that work you were doing at the time
1: I used to do non-profit work actually a lot, and I would schedule as many meetings as I could at different coffee shops, and I had them staked out around the cities, whatever city I lived in, and so we started doing as much of that as we could, and to where I just didn't want to be in the office any more than I had to.
0: Right, right. What kind of non-profit stuff were you doing?
1: I actually used to work for FCA, uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Very nice. What was it about that that got you kind of intrigued in that?
1: About FCA or
0: just about nonprofit work in general.
1: Oh, about coffee. You know, I was at it about 12 years and I was just interested in doing something a little bit different. And I didn't really know what that was. And so the interest in coffee and the interest in coffee shops kind of became a little more of a hobby. And as that hobby grew, I you know, started doing some research and just the interest level got higher and higher. And so once it manifested a little bit, it was like, you know, this, this wouldn't be a bad way to go, but I really never had any intention of owning a coffee shop or starting one. It was just going to be for fun and a hobby. Yeah. And this idea was suggested by a guy I used to work for, who was also looking for something else one day. And he said, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I was joking. I said, I don't know, maybe I'll start a coffee shop. And he called me back two weeks later and said, how serious were you? And I said, not very. (laughs) And he said, well, I think I found a spot. And so that was... In March of 2007, and we actually opened in December of 2007. So we both moved across the country to a new city, and this was our first venture into for-profit business. So
0: okay, all right, I want to get into more of that. So you're in the nonprofit world for 12 years. Were you always with FCA the whole time? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Did you feel like like did you move around and do like any types of different positions with them, or just pretty much the same thing?
1: No, the jobs weren't necessarily completely different, but I've lived in three different cities doing at different levels with FCA.
0: Okay. Did you feel like you wanted to get into for-profit stuff or you were just tired with nonprofit stuff or you were just tired with what you were doing or like, what were you kind of thinking at that point?
1: Probably all of the above. I, like I said, a, a new challenge, something different. It's hard when you're relying on other people. Nonprofit works, a lot of donations, a lot of grants and things like that. So you're always relying on other revenue sources coming. And And at the time, you know, naively, for-profit business seemed a little bit more straightforward in that it's like, you know, hey, I make this, I sell this, you buy this, you know, it was really easy. Well, you know, come to find out it's not, obviously, and I kind of knew that at the time, but it just, it seemed a little more clear-cut. And so ready for a change, looking at at opportunities to do that. And the fact that you're kind of doing it all on your own, you're starting from the ground floor up was an exciting challenge too. so.
0: So being in the nonprofit world for 12 years, at what point are you starting to kind of feel that itch to do something else?
1: That's a great question. And I've never really thought about that because I've enjoyed what I did and I enjoyed the people I worked with. So I wasn't just like, you know... Beaten at the door to get out or anything like that, but you just kind of felt as you grow and move around and have more experiences, you're just ready for something new. And so, yeah, I knew towards the end there that it was time. And but at the same time, you can know that and not necessarily know what your next step is, right? So, while you're still doing it, doing what you're doing, and pouring yourself into that, you just have the radar up looking for other things that might interest you or that might be exciting and might carry you into the next phase of life.
0: Yeah, I think there's because I think there's a lot of people listening that are in a similar spot of maybe they've been doing the same type of work for a long period of time and it's not that they don't like it but they're kind of going, I don't know, I mean, is this what I want to do for the next, you know, 20, 30, 40 years of my life or is, is there something else but I'm not really sure what that thing is. It's like, I don't love this. I don't hate this. so I'm kind of in that middle limbo spot. So I'm trying to figure out like, you know, how do you kind of negotiate that and kind of figure out if you don't know what you'd rather do how you figure that out. So it sounds like yeah. for you, it wasn't like, you know. Friday, I'm not liking my job with the nonprofit. And so on Monday, I'm just going to open a coffee bar. So how long are you playing with the coffee thing before it starts to percolate, so to speak? That's a coffee term, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Come on now. All (laughs) right. I'm I'm trying
0: to throw some puns (laughs) in there when I can. You know, you want to pour yourself into something. Okay. uh, Absolutely, absolutely. So how long are you playing with the coffee thing or just kind of doing it as a hobby?
1: Well, my first FCA job was when I started drinking coffee. So it was 12 years from, you know, drinking my first cup of coffee shop coffee to opening a coffee shop, especially coffee shop. And so all that time, it just kind of escalated. There were a couple of podcasts that were out there that I listened to, strangely enough, and that went into great detail about the coffee side of the business and, and even some of the more business nuanced parts of it, finance and things like that. That I just started listening to because I had a long commute every day. So I had a lot of time in the car. So I just turned that on and listened, and I was kind of intrigued. And these guys were just sitting talking about this stuff. And, you know, so I I gained a lot of knowledge that way, read some magazines, read articles, things like that. So I was researching, but only because it interested me, not because I had an end in mind. Yeah. I was just kind of fascinated by the whole romance of coffee from being the originating in these exotic locations around the world to, you know, things that we can bring into our own kitchen at home and experience just a little bit of those exotic locations, you know. So
0: how would someone know the difference, though? Like, there's a lot of things that all of us were, were interested in, or we have hobbies, or we have these little passions, or these little side projects. So I think it's difficult to know, like, when is something just a hobby and it's good enough just to be a hobby versus i could see myself turning this to something more so i mean you could yeah, you could be yeah. you know a coffee aficionado or a coffee snob or whatever the whatever the term is and be and like just be that for the rest of your life and be fine with that so yeah, how do you determine yeah. like i think there's enough passion and interest here to take it to the next level
1: yeah that's a great question too one of the things you're watching what's happening in the US and globally with the coffee industry is you know listening to these guys talk about it is you you realize this is a growing section of business world you know there's people opening shops all the time there's people roasting all the time so that helped as well that was evidence towards the idea that it might be a way to make some money and a way to you know build a career a little bit or build a business and so th- those are things i looked at definitely strongly it, it wasn't like i was you know a pioneer out there trying to come up with a new product and introduce it to a market that had never seen it before, you know? Right. It was, we were going on the coattails of a lot of people that had already laid a lot of groundwork. Yeah. You know, the big one, Starbucks being one of them. I mean, you know, a lot of the independent people really get down on Starbucks, but I mean, they're the reason we're able to do what we do because they've provided the American culture a habit of going to the coffee shop and expecting a little more out of their cup of coffee and wanting, you know coffee from a certain origin and all those things. And they did that, you know, and they were doing that a long time before we came in. And then a lot of independent shops, you know, were doing it at the same time, just on a smaller scale. And so, you know, when we had the opportunity to come in, it was like, huh, this might work. And so we found a, a market that at the time was underserved and we went in and still had to just absolutely slug it out to get anybody to even notice us. so.
0: yeah. Well, and I'm wondering too, like when you have the idea of doing coffee, of taking it on, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, you know, it's not something that you've grown up in or something that you've known and you can do a bit of research, but it's also got to feel a bit overwhelming. Like, where do I even begin? You know, like, let's say I wanted to leave my nonprofit thing and open a coffee bar. Like where, like, where do I even start? So sounds like a lot of just your base of knowledge just came from just kind of passively learning about it and researching it. And just, again, more of an interest rather than a, a business opportunity.
1: Yeah, exactly. And we knew that going in that there were a lot of things that we didn't know. But my original business partner and I also were smart enough to know, to ask people what we didn't know and to find out and to go go deal with people that had been in the business and been in the industry and, and could really help us. And the first one was finding a roaster that we could work with. And that proved to be probably the most valuable thing that we did because they had been through all this and they were pioneers. They started doing this back way back in the, not way back. I mean, it's the early nineties. So <laughs> it's not way back, but you know what I mean? Right. As far as in the coffee shop culture in the U S especially in the Midwest, they were doing it, you know, since the early to mid nineties. And so they had a lot of experience. They knew coffee, they knew business. And I burned their phone lines as much as I could. As soon as we committed to going with them, I was on the phone with them as much. And as they'd let me be as um, much as
0: they'd answer they, the phone.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, well, and that was that was huge. So find the experts and, and pick their brains, basically.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think that, that was the point I was getting ready to make is, I think that's a great lesson for anybody is when you're getting ready to step into some type of new industry or business or career or whatever that next step for you and your phase of life would be, you know, there's probably people that have done it and know where you're wanting to go. So you always tell people like, find someone that's doing something you want to do in a way that you want to do it and learn from them. Like, you said they've been there, they've gone that path, and so there's oftentimes that they can save you a lot of the heartache of learning about it and learning from scratch, and they can be a shortcut for you in a lot of ways to help you kind of figure out you need to know this. Don't worry about that now; you'll worry about that later. And just trying to understand the you know the game and the process that you're trying to figure out.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And you know our relationship with them is is strong even today, even when we're roasting our own coffee. They're still friends and they're still business partners in different ways. You know we still work with them when we can, and they you know, I credit them for a tremendous amount of what success we've had is because of that relationship. So I, I wouldn't have been able to do it. And I know for a fact, we wouldn't be here without them and a couple other key relationships we've had along the way. So,
0: so whenever, let's go back to what you said earlier, where you've got a buddy who comes to you, ask you what you want to be when you grow up and you say, just sounds like kind of off the cuff, like, you know, I'd Definitely. be interested to in open, open a coffee shop. How serious are you? I mean, obviously when he calls you back two weeks later, it's one thing, but at the time when you say that, is it just kind of a little Freudian slip there? or, or are you I like was serious? just
1: trying to get him to stop asking me the question because he <laughs> asked me every time we talk, And so it was the only thing that popped into my mind. And I just never said it before. But once I did, you know, he took the ball and ran with it a little bit. And he was more interested in, you know, setting up the business structure and the financing and all the things we needed to do. And you know, I had second-handedly really done a lot of the research already necessary to, to set up the coffee side. So he said, "What? He said, what do you think? Should we do this?" And you know, it, it just kind of ran from there. And and having somebody to work on the other side of it, you know, because we both still had jobs, and like I said, we lived in different cities and different states, and so we had a lot of work to do in a short time. But with two of us kind of breaking it up and teamworking working a little bit, we we were able to obviously have it come together pretty quickly. So,
0: so how do you, I mean, you're making two significant leaps, uh, I guess three. You're, I mean, not only eventually quitting your job, you're starting a business and third, you're moving, you know? So, I mean, yeah. like all the, like the, the worst stresses that they say to avoid, like you're doing all of them at the same time. So that year that you quit your job, that you move, that you start the business, what is that year like?
1: Well, it was really exciting, first of all, cause you're, yeah. you're moving stuff, you know, things are happening. And once we made a decision to do that you know, all your effort and energy and thought, and, you know, you're just pouring it into that project. And so things are happening fast. Some of it's frustrating, but some of it is just, you know, fueling the fire. And so you're burning along there and then you're like, oh yeah, I need, you know, I still have a job to do here and I need to, you know, fully engage with that and not let it suffer because I now have a plan for the next step. We still have to figure out a way to get a house sold and get moved. The good thing is, we were coming back to the Midwest. We had been out in the Rocky mountain region for those 12 years and my family's all in the Midwest. My wife's family's all from the Midwest. So we were coming back to our home turf, so to speak. So it was an easy move back, easy transition into culture and way of life and things like that. We knew it was going to be a little easier pace than what we were dealing with. So those were all things that made it pretty smooth. Of course, it was during the, you know, the beginning of the recession, which they didn't tell you that until 2008, but in 2007 we didn't you know nobody was calling it a recession so it was probably not the smartest thing to open a business to try to sell a house you know all these things during that time but you know we just kept plugging and and all the dominoes just fell as we went and it worked out not seamlessly sometimes but uh it definitely worked out so
0: well, I think there's a great lesson there of, yeah, you know, hindsight, you're starting something, you're having lots of massive transition during the start of a uh, recession. And so, you know, hindsight would say, you know, maybe not the best time. But I think that also like raises the question, like, when is the right time? Like, there's never a good time to move halfway across the country. There's never a good time to quit your job. There's never a good time to start a bit like there's no ideal situation for anything. So I think like if at any point, like today or now or like very, very soon is the best possible time to start that thing, whatever that thing is. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And we moved into an area in downtown in our city that was under a a tremendous revitalization. And it had already been started, but it was definitely in the beginning stages still. So a lot of the groundwork had been laid. And so a lot of things were going to come down the pipe very quickly, which because of the recession ended up not coming down the pipe very quickly. Right. And so but we got an amazing lease. We have an amazing landlord. We have an amazing location. And all that was because of the timing, you know, so there were some trade-offs there too. And we've been there now through the entire transition. And we're, you know, some of the final pieces of the puzzle are just now falling into place for our little neighborhood. And once they're done, you know, we're well on our way to being just a really, really vibrant part of the community in downtown. And so... We've been waiting for that now for seven years, and it's we've been able to watch and be a part of it and be a part of the transition rather than just come in at the end when yeah. when everything was already done. So you gain some credibility, some street cred with that, you know, because we've been there for a while, and right. people see us as as part of what's happened down there, as, as opposed to someone that's just coming in and just kind of reaping the benefits of what happens. So.
0: Right. So you start in December 2007. What's that first full year like? So you're starting to head into the depths of the recession there. You're starting a new business. How often are you second-guessing or questioning or wondering, what the heck was I thinking?
1: Well, another good timing thing is we didn't have any numbers pre-recession to compare to. So we didn't know any (laughs) better. You know, the numbers we were seeing every day in customer counts and sales and things like that were all new to us. And since we're so new, you know, we didn't have that many anyway. So people, you know, our, our part of the country is very slow to change. And so people have habits that are very ingrained and changing those habits just doesn't happen very often or very easily. And so we, those first year numbers were very low and looking at them now, they were painfully low. But like, like I said, we didn't have anything to compare them to previously. So we weren't at our height and then the recession hit and we bottomed out and then tried to rebound. We started out at the bottom in two different ways. So You know everything was up from there so we were a little bit naive and had our head in the clouds that first year but there were also a lot of moments of uh, uh oh you know and a lot of blood sweat and tears going into everything we were doing
0: Well, and you know, I've heard that from a lot of people, uh, not necessarily related to the recession, but just people are saying, you know, when I started my thing, looking back, whatever that thing, business side project, side hustle was like, I was a bit naive. And I think in some cases, like that's, that's probably a good thing. You know, you don't want to be completely naive. I mean, clearly you'd done your homework and done your research to open up a, you know, a significant physical business. But at the same time, you know, what you don't know, may be the thing that would have prevented you from starting the thing in the first place.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you don't want you have to earn the right to see those warts and those flaws in whatever you're doing, and at the beginning you want passion and excitement and and a little bit of naivete going into it because a lot of stuff would never get started. You're right. Yeah. You're right in that.
0: What was the that first year like? With that first year when you are kind of at the bottom there, like what was the toughest part of just getting started in general?
1: Oh, uh, you know, it, it's interesting because there were a lot. The toughest part was just knowing what day was going to look like, how to put it all together, you know, because we honestly didn't even have any food service backgrounds. I had a fast food job for a little while in high school and that was about it. So, you yeah. know, putting a schedule together for staffing, how much staffing are we going to need for different times in the day? You know, how do we prepare the drinks? How do we present the drinks? What's the workflow going to be? Just simple stuff like that was initially the the thing and then it was you know okay how do you how do you control inventory so you're not wasting a lot of coffee because it's it's a very very time sensitive product so once it's roasted it's got a pretty short shelf life and so we didn't want to be using coffee that was too old and we didn't want to have to throw coffee that went out of date away and so all these things going on early and so controlling inventory how do we get customer counts up? How do we know where to advertise and who to advertise with and what to advertise? And keep costs as low as we can so we're not just burning through our operating capital at a rate we, faster than we need to. So, Right. I mean, there's a hundred things. I don't know if there was one that really stood out as the biggest, but there were a hundred things. And we managed to... Keep it in check enough to at least keep going. So, and that's what you got to do.
0: Well, one thing I want to ask you about is like what you might do differently, whether it be someone like just as an entrepreneur in general at large. Like if you were starting a business again, what would you would do, and then also more specifically, like if you were starting a coffee shop again, what would you do differently? But what we're going to do is we're going to uh, we're going to just tease that to the listeners. We're going to let them stick around for a little bonus time if they want to hear the extended interview. They can hear the answers to that. But to wrap up, for people that want to, uh, you know, if they want to taste the coffee, they're going to come to Springfield, Missouri, where we're at. But if they want to just check out your stuff and and learn a little bit more about you, is there anywhere online that we can go?
1: Yeah, it's just thecoffeeethic.com. It's our website. I don't spend a ton of time on there. We're a little more on Facebook, which is also just the Coffee Ethic. And then Twitter and our Instagram accounts are all pretty similar. You can find them through one of the others. But we try to keep up with the social media a little bit more than our static website. But those are all ways you can check us out a little bit.
0: Awesome. Sounds good, Tom. Well, hey, people, make sure that you stop by. You check out what Tom's up to there. Check out their social media stuff. And then make sure you make a pilgrimage down to uh, Springfield, Missouri. You can check out Coffee Ethic and the fine, tasty treats that they serve up there. Also, make sure that you stick around for the the little extended episode that we're going to do here, where we're going to talk a little bit more about the coffee industry and how Tom has built his business. So we'll catch you over there. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Grant. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that interview with uh, Tom Billions of The Coffee Ethic. Really good stuff there. Love his story. Love his journey. You know, a couple things that I really like about Tom's story that I think are really relevant for us is... One, whenever he was kind of winding down his career, he wasn't planning on getting into the coffee industry, but he knew his time was winding down in his nonprofit role and he started just having his radar aware of what might come next. And so maybe for you, you kind of have this internal nudge that like, I don't know, I just, you know, I enjoy my work. I don't hate it, but I don't love it. And I don't, I don't really know what I'd rather be doing different. Don't ignore that. Pay attention to that. Be aware of that feeling and allow that feeling to be on your radar so you can start looking. You don't know what you're looking for until you actually actually start looking. And so for Tom it was that of just going, okay, I know what this isn't it forever, but what would I rather do? And I think that's where that question that his friend asked him was such an eye-opening and illuminating question for him and for so many of us. That question of what do you want to be? When you grow up it's still it's a, it's a funny question it's an easy question to just blow off and and blow past, but it's still such a great question to ask and and ask yourself that same question or or here's another way you know, the question I ask people a lot of times if you were guaranteed success and you could do anything time money location were all irrelevant you were guaranteed success what would you do if you could do anything in terms of a career, what would you do what do you want to be when you grow up have you ever taken the time to stop and really thought about it and think about it and figured it out, what, what your answers are, not just some type of surface answer. Maybe it could be. Maybe it's just like Tom, kind of a knee-jerk reaction to, I want to have a coffee shop. And now today he does. But take the time to really consider that. If you could do anything, what would you really, really want to do? Hey, if you enjoyed that interview with Tom, we do have some bonus material you can download. You can go to grantbalden.com slash 82, episode 82. You can download that. Also, if you want from your app there, from your iPhone or your Android or mobile device, wherever you're listening to this, you can look at the show notes. There's gonna be a box right at the top of the show notes and you can download that bonus material, that exclusive content if you would like there. Again, we talk about anything that he would do different in opening a coffee shop, talk about building loyalty in a small business and figuring out how you grow and you build while still keeping something small and special. So good stuff there from Tom. Hey, we would love for you to leave us a rating and review within iTunes or Stitcher if you haven't already. I got a good one the other day from David X. Ramos. He says, I've been looking for a podcast just like this, something that is broad enough to show me my options as a wandering 20-something and practical enough where I can take this motivation, turn it into action. Grant's a great communicator. I definitely recommend it to the millennials looking for more. So good stuff. Thanks, David. Really appreciate that review. Again, you can go to grantbalden.com slash iTunes, leave us a rating review. We would love, love, love love, love to hear from you. All right. I think uh, that about wraps up this episode. we got some more good stuff coming to you in the next episode. So make sure that you come back, you subscribe so you never miss out and keep tasting this delicious goodness that we've got for you. Talk to you soon. You're awesome. Thanks for listening to the How Did You Get Into That podcast
1: with Grant Baldwin. Don't forget to visit grantbaldwin.com for all the show notes and links discussed in today's episode. We'll see you next time.